for coming on to Pink Noise, Heather. Thank you for having me. (laughs) This isn't the first time we've spoken together on a podcast, is it? It's not. And it's always very, very juicy. (laughs) I was in a very different place in my life when we recorded on the Unraveling series. It was a beautiful series. You did an incredible job. You played such a key role in that for me and this journey of learning how to love myself more Mm. really has allowed me to drop into this new space of launching pink noise. It's only my ability to see what is worthy and good in myself that allows me to have a wider lens to see the beauty and the magic in others Mm, and want to share that Mm. here. Yeah. And you do it in such a beautiful way. And as I mentioned to you, when we spoke recently that the world needs more of you, the beauty that has evolved and come to life through your commitment to loving yourself is so exquisite. The heart space that you hold, the grounding that you provide is one of the most beautiful and safe spaces that I have experienced and that your listeners will experience. You are a space holder and it is so incredibly beautiful. My heart is pounding. (laughs) I can feel my chest listening to you say those things. And I almost want to look over my shoulder like, wait, who's behind me? Who are you really talking to? Yeah, I'm talking to you. You are quite a gift. We are here today not to talk about my gifts, but to talk about the importance of loving ourselves, to love ourselves through to our inevitable death. To love ourselves enough to truly live, to truly live. And, you know, as we we were talking about this beautiful episode on self-love just in time for Valentine's Day and the things that were just so present on my heart and needed to be shared were the depths of the experiences that I've been in myself these past few years. And in sharing those things with you, just realized how important it is to give voice to this conversation and how we can see death as life's greatest teacher and and in allowing death to teach us and show us the magic that it is to be alive to deeply love ourselves to love ourselves enough to truly live while we are here is one of the most incredible gifts of self-love the journeys of self-love And how do you do that more? Mm. 
as these past few years, as you know, um, I have been in this dance with death and the, the lessons that it has brought me. And, you know, it, it started before even, even uh, experiencing the depth of grief in my own life, which, which came after this theme showed up for me in my life. It was back in 2018 and I was doing this deep growth workshop. And one of the, one of the themes that we were working through was to, to face our greatest fears. And one of the greatest fears that we all share is the fear of death. And so we literally went through a process of facing our death and transcending through that pain, going through the pain and the fear of death and dying to come out the other side so that we can truly live, so that we can truly be here now. And it was through that process that the seeds and the depth of the importance of this teaching came to life. And then shortly after one of my best friends was diagnosed with stage four liver cancer, I flew to Hong Kong to take care of her, came back home. My dad was diagnosed with leukemia. There was this series of things that happened that both of them lost their, their fight with cancer and within a few months of each other. And um, so I was, I was really deep in this topic of grief and realizing how quickly things are put into perspective when we are facing death, how quickly things are put into perspective when we're dealing with our own grief because of the death or the loss of someone or something in our lives. And so I think for me, this journey um, has been one of the most powerful and deep lessons of my life. And to, to put things into perspective so quickly and to have it teach you to think about what matters most, to really see where you're spending your time and energy and to not waste it not waste any more time. I'm getting the sense as you talk, Heather, that you're seeing death as a teacher. Mm -hmm. Death as a, as a teacher to highlight what's important about how we live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, last year, the beginning, if you think back to the beginning of this collective grief that we, we were in through COVID, it started out, 2020 started out with the world being shocked at Kobe Bryant and his daughter and their friends' tragic and sudden death. And so we were in this sort of collective mourning already, and, and death and, and grief has a way of putting us into a state of shock and disbelief, and then also perspective. And so there was a lot of people talking about how their sudden and tragic death put things into perspective, even though they might not have ever known them personally. But it was a symbol of just how tragic and painful it can be when you lose someone suddenly and unexpectedly. And so that's, that was the tone that was set for the year. 
before we even got into COVID and quarantine and our whole world's getting turned upside down and the collective grief and the mourning of the loss of our regularity of our routines and the things that we had come to know and trust to be normal, the carpet got pulled out from all of our feet. And so we were kind of tossed into this tidal wave of having to move through grief. Most people, I don't think were consciously aware that that's what was going on, but they were going through those stages of grief and feeling and experiencing that. And, you know, the, the sudden plans that you had that were changed, that were taken away, that you could no longer do, the activities you could no longer participate in, the connections, the, the way that you lived your life was all of a sudden gone. And that puts you into a state of grief, which is similar to what happens when you're grieving the loss of a loved one and you're going through grief because of death. And so it was like a collective death, a death that leads to rebirth. And death being that truly one of life's greatest teachers, because it, it shows you the blessing and the gift that it is to be alive. We get this one moment right here, right now, and that's it. How are you going to use it? And grief and fear can be so emotionally exhausting. And that is not to be underestimated, the amount of energy it takes to be in a state of grief, to be in a state of uncertainty, to not feel safe because you can no longer rely on the things that you had come to know to rely on to give you the illusion of being safe. And so, Grief comes in waves. It comes in all different textures and feelings and emotions. Sometimes it hits you hard and collapses you. And some, it can be too intense and overwhelming that you just have to figure out any way to get through, even if that means needing to numb out, needing to tune the world out, falling back into old patterns of coping and habits and addictive type behaviors that are designed to take the edge off in that moment. And sometimes it's just too much. The weight of the world is too much. The pain that we were all experiencing, the loss, the fear, the uncertainty, the death, the darkness that rose up in the midst of all of that for us to face and finally see it was a lot, it was an intense year. It was an intense time and it still is in so many ways. And so coming back to self-love in a way, it's like being able to be aware, hey, this is what's been going on for all of us. You know, like I said, my journey in, in this, under this theme started a se several years ago and it's almost like life was preparing me prior <laughs> so that I could get to the place where I thankfully am now to be able to reach back out and say, who's ready? How can I help? Who wants to get out of those old patterns of numbing and not feeling because feeling feels like too much for a lot of us. 
<sighs> and that's where grace comes in. Giving ourselves grace, being kinder and more compassionate and gentle with ourselves and forgiving ourselves for potentially having showed up in a way in 2020 that you might look back on and regret or that you might think, hey, that really sucked. I really wasted that time. I didn't show up in the way that I would have liked to have shown up. Why wasn't I one of those people who started all these cool habits and got super fit and like did all these amazing things? <laughs> Why wasn't I that person? Oh, instead, my drinking increased, late nights, binge watching, the endless vortex of social media surfing and being engaged in all the emotional noise. However you did it, whatever happened, it's okay. Because grief does really strange things to us. And it puts us into patterns of behavior that are designed for our survival because the pain of it can be too much because we have not learned how to be with our pain. And learning to be with your pain is the, is the deepest and most radical act of self-love. That is what self-love is all about. It's loving yourself through the pain, through those moments where your best self really sucked. And all you could do in that moment to show up for yourself is numb out in some way. And that's where grace comes back in. I love that you're offering that as step one. Mm. You know, kind of step one out is grace. Yeah. And I heard you say, I think next would be like forgiveness. Yeah. Forgive yourself for whatever habits or patterns you might have picked up as you were processing grief in mm -hmm. 2020. Yes. Yeah. There, there is no blame or shame game that serves the journey of self-love. No, no. There just isn't. This being with your pain, being with your pain, seeing it, acknowledging it. So where's the line for you, Heather? Where's the line for you in being with it and seeing it and not succumbing to it, mm. not wallowing in it or playing victim to it? And that's the fear that comes from the ego that holds you back from allowing yourself to truly feel it. Because the fear is if I really feel it and I let myself go there, I'm going to stay there. I'm going to get stuck there. And so there's layers and complexities to this. And it's not a straightforward answer for every individual because we're all very different and our mental health backgrounds are very different. And the traumas that we've experienced in our lives are very different and unique to us. And so I would like to say that anyone who wants to go on a journey like this of deeply loving themselves and learning how to be 
with their feelings and emotions should ideally do it with someone who is an expert in that arena with a trained licensed therapist, a mental health practitioner, a coach that has the expertise to hold you through that time so that you have someone who can be there to catch you, to hold you, to bring you back out. If indeed you stay down in there for too long. I do want to say, however, that I truly, truly believe that that is more of the exception rather than the rule. And the rule would be that if you truly, deeply allow yourself to feel whatever it is that's needing to be felt from deep inside of you, that emotion, which is known as energy in motion, will move. It will move through you. There's a lot of sayings in the transformational world, like you have to feel it to heal it. The only way out of the pain is through the pain. And taking into consideration that all emotion is, is energy in motion. And if you have not let yourself fully feel those emotions, it's energy that's blocked inside of you that you're holding onto that's stuck in your physical body. It's creating heaviness and dis-ease or lack of ease and flow in your physical body. And so the kindest and most loving thing that you could possibly do is feel those feelings so that they can move up and out. Otherwise, they're bound to get stuck. I have quoted you countless times. Even, even on this show, the only way out is through. Yeah. It's so, it's so true. And, and it's almost like I want to plant that just a little bit deeper into the soil. Yeah. So the only way out is through. What we're talking about is, is being with rather than denial and denial feels so much more familiar to me mm-hmm. than allowing myself the the luxury or the freedom mm-hmm. <laughs> the space to be messy mm-hmm. the space to be sad angry lonely those things that feel it it i'm not lovable if i'm those things mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not lovable if I'm sad. I'm not lovable if I'm lonely. Mm-hmm. And, and who am I if I'm not lovable? Yeah. Right. The denial part, it's, it keeps me in my comfort zone. And I was talking last night in an authentic relating course about discomfort. And there was an exercise on discomfort that we were doing moving into some relationship uh, Aikido mm-hmm. in conflict transformation. And the, the first talk on discomfort was such an interesting word because it doesn't describe what it is. It only describes what it isn't. Mm-hmm. Like in and of itself, it is a lack of comfort. And so mm-hmm. how do you know that you're in it? How do you know that you're uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. What, what does a lack of comfort feel like? Yeah. We first have to be able to 
to find that. What is there a body sensation? Is there mental chatter? A combination of all of that. And what do you do about it? Mm-hmm. Just sit with it. That's when you slow down and you unplug and you turn off the TV and you turn off your phone and you clear away as many distractions as you can and you just sit and breathe and you sit with your breath and you just allow yourself to be in that stillness and let all of the thoughts and feelings and sensations and emotions arise because they will. And so that's another thing. Think about it. We were so busy externally, all of us collectively on the planet have been, the majority of us have been so busy in our busyness externally. And then all of the sudden, everything shut down and we were forced to stop doing the things that we were doing previously that kept us in this busy energy, that kept us distracted from truly feeling the sensations that we had probably been denying for a very long time. And it is easier to deny your feelings, or at least we think it's easier to deny our feelings than to go deep into feeling them. And so, you know, there's there's two things that can happen from situations like this as a result of situations like this, whether you're going through your own individual process of a dark night or grief or loss or trauma or any sort of challenge that arises, or we're going through it together as we have been, that you end up either having post-traumatic stress or something that is known to be post-traumatic growth. And that's something that I've recently become aware of that terminology and post-traumatic growth is such a beautiful way to think about how we can learn from the, the situations that are presented to us in our lives and move through those so that we get to the other side where we can be in deep acceptance of and seeking, really truly seeking what the lesson was for us, what the gifts of those experience possibly could be. And that happens through a curious mind. And that's one of the things that is absolutely essential in a path of growth is curiosity. And so if you want to learn to be with your feelings, you're going into that from a place of curiosity and openness to receive the growth the gift that's on the other side of allowing yourself to fully feel what's there. I do feel like I want to say something about um, people who have had what is called big T trauma, little T and big T trauma. There's different categories of types of trauma, traumatic experiences. And if you've never worked with someone to process through your traumas, it is really important to do that with someone who is experienced and, and understands how to work with people who have gone through trauma. So telling someone who is still in post-traumatic stress after trauma, telling that person to just sit with their feelings might be way too much, way too much, because it would be like the tsunami instead of the wave. 
thanks for pausing to bring this up. It's a very yeah. important distinction. Yeah. And so any anyone who's listening, you know, to just get honest with yourself first and foremost about where you're at on your own personal healing journey. And if you're at a stage where the things that I'm suggesting might not yet be good for you, that you first need to work with a professional to help you get to a place where you can learn the absolute magic of learning to be still and learning to be with yourself in a safe way. And so I think that's really important to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a whole journey to learn how to sit in stillness. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm hearing you suggest it as a, as a magical, you know, key that can unlock everything so much. And it's a practice that was hard earned for me Mm -hmm. to sit in stillness, to, to first pause all of the busyness and prioritize my state of mind. Mm -hmm. And then to not beat myself up when I fall out of practice with any form of meditation to not beat myself up, but to just start where I am and get back on and get back on and get back on. Yeah. This last Friday, my father reached his 365th day of daily meditation. Wonderful. A full calendar year. Shout out pops. Nice. That's amazing. (laughs) And because I know that he uses insight timer. Yeah. I recorded a meditation for him. Oh. And put it to music. And it was about 11, just over 11 minutes, a guided meditation just for him. And it was a, it was a beautiful experience. My partner, Kevin, suggested that I, that I do that. And I really enjoyed the process of it as a way to celebrate and honor and acknowledge like his commitment and dedication to learning to surrender, acceptance, mm-hmm. the change in his body and capacity as he ages. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, here we are talking about loving ourselves more and and through the process of of death learning how to live Mm -hmm. and all of these seem things seem connected to me yeah they are but there's a piece that i seem eager to to get to which is some curiosity heather around planning for one's death it is one of the most incredible processes that you can take yourself through. And and this is the question that I would first ask myself or have anyone else ask themselves is, if you were to go today, would you be at peace? Have you said everything you need to say to the people that matter most? Have you forgiven? Have you asked for forgiveness? Have you taken care of your affairs? Do people that love you and know you know exactly what you want when you pass? 
Do they know how you want to be celebrated? Have you planned for that? Where do you want to be? Where do you want to lie? Do you want to lie? Do you want your ashes to be spread? There are so many things to think about and plan for that most of us don't give much thought to at all. And if we do, it's probably pretty surface level. And maybe we buy a plot or there's our family has a plot somewhere, a family section in some cemetery somewhere. And that's the extent of our planning. And we have no idea what will it'll actually cost us to lay next to our loved ones after we're gone. And our families are left trying to navigate all of that while they're trying to navigate their own grief and the pain of that grief and the pain of that loss. And so that's very much how it was for me as my dad passed and not having had the awareness to have those conversations, to be as prepared as we could have been, to get all of his affairs in order. And, and so it really was this, this massive moment, this massive teaching for me about taking care of my affairs, about cleaning house, in, in all the ways in which you can think about what that would mean metaphorically as well, just really cleaning house. So that as you do that, now think about, think about that cleaning house metaphor where you're literally clearing away the clutter and you're clearing away things that, you know, what are you still holding on to this for? Like when we spoke on the phone, you mentioned holding on to these things and looking at them and going, well, if I'm going to give these to my niece and nephew, I'll give them to them now. <laughs> and if they want them or they don't, they want them or they don't. What am I holding on to this for? And it can be physical things that you're holding on to, and it can be emotional things that you're holding on to and mental and spiritual and energetic. I mean, there's so much that we hold on to that weighs us down and prevents us from feeling truly free and liberated and able to breathe. It's like, imagine how much lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter you would get and how much more at peace you would be and how much more fully and deeply you could experience the richness of this life the magic, the blessing of this life, if you were more free, if you would be at a place within yourself where you could say, even though I don't want to go because I love my life and I love my people, if I were to go, I would be at peace because I've cleaned house. And I didn't wait to tell people how much they meant to me. They know it. They've already received the letters over the years that they needed to receive. What a beautiful gift. You give yourself and the people that you love most and that love you more than anything. Yeah. Just Sunday night after a deep meditation in my space pod, which anyone who... If you really knew me, <laughs> you'd know 
that my space pod is a float tank, a deprivation saltwater float tank. And that's the space where I feel most connected to myself, my spirit. And I call forth memories from my youth that made me feel really tender about my mom. Mm. Stories that I've never told anyone. And as I called forth these memories of where I felt the most amount of love from my mom. And I, I relived these moments and my heart just expanded and expanded and I couldn't wait to get home and call her mm. and let her know that I wanted to share a couple of loving memories from my youth. And would that be okay? Like sort of set the stage, right? Like I, some, I feel like I have this habit of sort of going from zero to 60 and the practice of authentic relating is teaching me to like maybe bring people with me Mm-hmm. as I step on the gas, even the idea of like asking for consent, mm-hmm. like, do I have consent to share now? Like, is now an okay time to go down memory lane with you? Do mm-hmm. you have the capacity for this? Mm-hmm. So I paused, tried to slow down, catch my breath. Yeah. <laughs> and then I shared these beautiful memories that felt so tender and sweet that she'd never heard me say before. Mm. And in that I said, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want one of us to die and to not, for you not to know that I hold on to these memories. Like, I don't want to hold back. It's like, tell the best story, Mm -hmm. you know, on this journey of, of unraveling and becoming, Mm -hmm. I have often pointed to painful lessons, stories about my ex or my childhood that where core wounds come from. Yeah. And, and as I name the people closest to me, I wonder, looking back, if, if any of that sounds like blame. Mm. And it was really just an opportunity for me to see more clearly, like to own my experience of what my role was in those situations. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm closing the chapter on telling those stories that divide and separate. Yeah. A big one came up about my sister recently. And it's a story that I've heard myself say before and to her also. And coming out of this experience with my mom on on Sunday, I thought, I want to only tell the best story. Mm about where I felt the closest with my sister, where I felt the most amount of love from my ex-husband. Yeah. Those are the stories that I should be telling because they're the ones that aid connection, the kind of connection that I actually want to have. Yeah. Why tell a story that further divides Mm. and separates? 
Do you remember one of the things I used to say, and I'm sure that I said it a lot during that first soul on fire retreat that you came to, and it was until you can tell your story from an empowered place, your work is not yet done. (sighs) And that reminds me of it because it's that shift, you know, and as you are, and so many people go on this journey as I went on myself and I've been on many times as you've been on this journey of unraveling, unraveling all that is no longer true and that never was. And as you unravel and unravel these layers and you have this, these phases of deeper awareness and understanding and you're starting to draw the connections and build those bridges from the pain that you have been experiencing and that you're in back to the source of that pain and those core wounds. And as you build those bridges of understanding and you have that deeper awareness, it can feel like it would in some way be helpful or prudent to share that awareness and potentially with those people. And what I've learned along the way is that that journey that you're on within yourself, that journey of unraveling is very, very sacred. And the root word of sacred and secret are connected. And so it is a journey that is so sacred, it should be secret in a way. As you're unraveling and going through that journey of becoming, that you keep it really close to your heart and you share the process that you're going through with the person that you've chosen as your guide in this process. And maybe one or two really safe, those people that are in that closest circle with you. And and eventually when you come out the other side and, and there's that deepening of yourself, of your true self, there's a softening of your heart. There's a higher level of awareness and understanding than that initial awareness of drawing those connections. Then you can share from an empowered place. Then you can say, I had this awareness. I went through this process, but you're doing it from a place of personal responsibility and ownership rather than any energy of blame. And that's, I think, the big difference in maybe sharing prematurely. And so potentially there was just still more understanding. And then that it's like a, I don't know what the right word is. I want to say ripening. It's like a fine wine that ages over time and becomes more delicious. And that's when you want to share it. And so it's, it's that kind of a process that came up as you were sharing that, that, you know, that, and also when you get to that place where you've worked through all of those emotions and you've allowed yourself to feel and, and you've made those connections and you've done the work, you've done the inner work to heal, then you can get to that place where you really shift and everything becomes a positive lens because you look back in gratitude at all of the experiences that you've ever had because you're able to see the lesson that life was providing for you through those experiences and how it shaped you to be the person you are today. And if you truly deeply love and accept yourself as you are back to self-love, 
then you can look back in gratitude on all of those experiences. And then the story becomes an empowered one. Hells yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What a beautiful, beautiful example and gift that you just gave your mother and to actually see it in real time unfolding and the gift of that connection. And, you know, as you were saying that I felt this, the, the, I felt the waves of grief begin to bubble up inside of me because I wish I would have taken more of those moments when my father was alive. You know, as we've spoken about previously as well, that death really puts things into perspective and you go through these moments where, where your life with that person sort of flashes through your, goes through your mind and you look at the good times, you look at the bad times, and then you kind of scan your past for regret. It's really interesting. And so as you scan your past for, you know, opportunities missed, things that you regret doing or not doing, that sort of comes in again and is one of those death is life's greatest teachers moments where I look back on my relationship with my father and not having shared everything I would have loved to have shared with him. I shared a lot more than most people probably get to share with their loved ones before they pass. But had I known (laughs) that he was leaving when he did, there would have been a much higher level of sharing that I didn't get to experience with him. Same thing happened with my girlfriend. They both took a turn for the worse and it was unexpected. And then they were gone before there was any opportunity to say anything at all. I, I feel like I wanna offer you the first step that you offered me as we began this conversation, mm. which is in grief to have grace with yourself. Yeah. And when I hear you talk about the movie reel of regret, Mm. I feel this heaviness in my Mm -hmm. heart and I felt my, my shoulders tense up. And I remember the advice of just start where you are. It's a very natural process that as you're reflecting back on your time with someone, and as you're thinking about the good times and the bad times that that there are moments when you realize that there are things you wish you would have said or didn't say that you could have done or didn't do, it becomes very clear very quickly that there was potentially missed opportunity. And so to translate that lesson into your life today is to take those lessons. For me, it's been to take those lessons and to tell my mother everything that I want her to know and to tell my girlfriends and to randomly text a friend and tell them how amazing they are and how much I appreciate them. And so it's taking the lessons and the pain of that missed opportunity for connection and love between the people that you care about most and putting it into action right here, right now. And what do you think stops us from 
from just doing more of that, even without having this conversation about grief or having an awareness of the contrast that you've experienced from through death, learning how you want to live. Mm-hmm. You know, like I wonder how we more of us can access that place of, of revealing our heart. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was talking to my mom, I thought I, I said out loud, actually, um, I wonder what prevents us from doing more of this. Like, mm-hmm. it, is there something that is scary about mm-hmm. revealing your heart to someone? Are yeah. you worried about judgment or... Mm-hmm. And then, and then why? Mm-hmm. And I think a big part of it is that we are in, in our Western world, at least we're just so caught up in all of the external noise. We're constantly distracted. There are <laughs> hundreds and thousands of things distracting us every single day from our attention, from what really truly matters most. There are things competing for our attention constantly. And those are not the things that matter. And so again, it's that teaching that comes in through that process of grief and loss, death and dying, that you get your priorities straight. And last year, 2020, we all went through a collective process of grief, which is like death. And so that was the death so that there could be a rebirth. And if you're listening to this and you're still in that post-traumatic stress energy and potentially you're still caught up in those habits of distraction or numbing or just kind of tuning out because the world feels like too much, I just want to invite you to come back to a place within yourself. I mean, it just really feels like we're in a moment right now of rebirth, reclaiming that our sense of self and getting back, like find your spark again, find your spark again, find the joy in living. Life has been really heavy for so many of us. And when we focus back and get our priorities straight, which is, I believe what a big part of 2020 was trying to teach us is it's time to get back to what matters most and invest in the people who matter most and invest in those relationships that matter most. And this is something that we in Western cultures, I want to say America more than other Western cultures because Europeans aren't like this nearly as much. Americans in particular are so isolated in their own little bubble of reality so often we want to have our home we want to have our our land around our home we want to have isolation and we're so disconnected from one another that's not how it is in mediterranean cultures or in many other cultures around the world there is a deeper sense of family and community there's this sense of knowing that you have people who have your back even if they don't particularly like you, (laughs) they love you and they're there for you because they're family and community. It's like, I've got your back. Even if I don't like you very much right now. (laughs) You're right. And so there is this isolation and then you add on top of it, the isolation of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And now you've got some really 
lonely humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this has been really hard for so many. And I think it's affecting the younger generations in a way that we can't possibly fully comprehend at this moment in time. And the rate of suicide and depression in teens and even in younger children. And this isolation that's happening right now is very detrimental to the development of healthy, emotional human beings. And it's not good for any of us ever. We think it is because we've been trained to believe that we should want and have all of these things on our own and be independent and provide for ourselves and be isolated and away from our parents and have our own home. And it's just a very different way of thinking about how we do life and what our goals are. And we've let consumerism drive that in so many ways. We've been manipulated to believe that we need these things to feel affirmed in our own sense of worthiness and accomplishment and therefore self-love and worthiness of love. But, oh, we are so wrong. (laughs) We are so wrong. And right now this is doing so much more damage than we could possibly imagine. There's going to be a lot of repair work that is going to be needed for future generations, for the generations that are growing up in this right now. My, my niece is half Maasai and traditionally in the Maasai culture, they're in mud huts and they're in Tanzania in Maasai land. And they, they, everyone is together. It's this community and they have so little, but they have so much joy. They have so much happiness and connection to each other and to the land. And it's so incredibly beautiful. And then thinking about more European cultures where, you know, you build up, not out. And so it's, you know, you have a, everyone lives pretty much, majority of people live in apartments, flats, and you have generational families living in a flat. And thinking about, you know, with the Indian immigrants that come over here, especially in Washington to work at all the software companies, you know, they, they bring their parents over and they're living in a small home or in an apartment and their parents live there with them. I wonder how living in closer connection to your ancestors, I wonder what that does for the aging process or the inevitability of it. Mm-hmm. And I think about cultures, um, Mexicans, Spanish, And I I don't know a lot about Dia de la Muertes. I only know what the news, the media, the entertainment shows me Mm -hmm. because I don't have close relationships um, with families of origin from those places for me to have witnessed or ever experienced the celebration firsthand. But it seems to me that there is a lot of reverence and ritual and sacred celebrations Mm -hmm. that happen on an annual and perhaps even ongoing basis that I can't even begin to comprehend because we don't have a way Mm -hmm. in my family of ritualistically celebrating the deceased. I'm sad about it. Yeah. I want to do something about it. We can create it. You can create it. And you know, thinking about that, it reminds me of just all of the different rites of passage that so many other cultures have that Americans have somehow lost touch with. There's a disconnection, it feels like, that happened from, from those types of practices somewhere along the way. And other 
cultures still have those deeper connections and roots and they there's still that honoring and that reverence of these practices and rites of passage and rituals that come into into being whether it is a marriage ceremony or a birth ceremony or that child then going through different stages and rites of passage along the way all the way up into the process and the celebration of death and dying. I have friends who are the oldest members of their family. Mm. And that day is coming for me too. Yeah. And I will then be the keeper of my stories and I don't have any offspring of my own Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to have any offspring. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so where do my stories go? Mm-hmm. But what about everyone else? What about mm-hmm. everyone else? And we don't gather yeah. the way the natives gathered. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big loss. It is. I agree. And I want to create new rituals with my family before I want mm-hmm. before it's too late. Yeah. I want to have a death party. Mm-hmm. I want to find out the exact bouquet that my mother would want at her funeral. How outrageously yes. big is it? And what kind of flowers are in it? And what color? Go to the internet yeah. and pick it yeah. out yeah. and put the link on this form. And then you know what? Then I just want to send it to her like one year by surprise while she's still alive. <laughs> That could be taken in in potentially a not so good way. Okay. But there's like, if we could just imagine the greatest party we would ever want for our funeral, this, this is the music we want to listen to. These are the photos of me. These are the poems I want you to recite. This is the band or the music, the chef, Mm -hmm. the dessert, like enjoy it. Yeah. Like what if you could have that party while you were still alive? Yeah, you can. Michael Hebb, who started the Death Over Dinner movement, mm-hmm. I went to hear him speak back in 2017, and his friends threw him a death party for his birthday. I don't want to leave the burden to the grieving. If we loved our people, yeah, we would go through the discomfort. Mm-hmm. of having these awkward, com- potentially awkward conversations now. Yeah. It's not about love though, because it's about their own fear of death that keeps them from having these conversations. My husband will wiggle and squirt. He'll, he'll get so squirrely and wiggly if I try to have these conversations with him. <laughs> it's not a topic he wants. It's not a place he wants to go. And so we've had to kind of work with that and through that over time. And that's on very high on my list of priorities because I do want to be in that space where I can be at peace today. And that's only gonna happen if we have those uncomfortable conversations and they're uncomfortable because of people's own fear of death. It's the thing that we instinctually fear more than anything else, all of us. I think about that, Heather. I do. And I, and there's something that feels more potent than death, which is agony. Like 
if I, I want to say, if I'm being really honest, I fear suffering more than the emptiness of the not being here. Mm-hmm. And that's your conscious awakened awareness. That's not your deepest, most primal instinctual part of your brain that cannot have those thoughts. That part of you, the part of you that is just trying to survive is the part that is the deepest and the oldest. And that's the part that fears death and is trying to do everything it can just to stay alive. So to have the awareness to say, I don't want to be in agony and emotional suffering while I'm alive. And that's what I fear more than the fear of death is beautiful. And I, and I hear that from people when I do bring this up occasionally and people will say, well, I actually don't fear death. And I'll say, I'm not talking to that part of your brain. (laughs) It's your hard wiring. It's instinctual. It's primal. human beings. We all share that. And as we evolve and as we awaken and as we can use our our awakened perspectives, we can embrace the idea of death, but it doesn't mean the programming, the instinctual programming around it is gone. I feel like I just got schooled. And maybe you didn't. It's all my perspective. (laughs) Thank you for spending this time with me, Heather. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for unpacking this really big, often taboo topic. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that your listeners got something from it and feel inspired by it in some way to if there's and if there would be one message that i want people to take away from this is to truly live to not waste any more time don't live with regrets do the things that light your soul on fire find your spark again find that magic because it is magical to be alive it's the most sacred precious incredible gift that you have right here right now to take the breath that you get to take right now Enjoy it, love it, appreciate it, honor it. Even when it's painful, honor that, love that. And even if that means loving your inner weirdo and getting your freak on. Yeah. You know that I'm here with my pom-poms to help people with the art of self-expression. Yes. Because it doesn't matter what your turn-ons are. Yeah. What matters is not hurting other people. Yes. As long as they're not hurting other people. (laughs) All the disclaimers. But it is about go doing more of what you love. Mm -hmm. And I think what we talked about earlier is getting into that place of stillness so that you can hear your voice that wants to be expressed Exactly. And then you can get in touch with the medium of how you're going to express more of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yep. Whatever medium that is. Mm-hmm. Song, dance, writing, physical activity, academics, 
engineering, like it doesn't matter the modality. No. If you're a baker, bake. If you're a runner, run. Mm-hmm. Mm. Thank you for bringing your big, beautiful, beating heart. Thank you. With you everywhere you go. Thank you. Thank you so much for creating this space. I love being in your presence. Mm. Thanks for listening to another episode of Pink Noise. This is your host, Very Sherry. I know today's topic about death and grief might not be a favorite, and yet it is something we will all face. And in my research for this episode, I found so many resources of speakers and topics and companies that are here to be of service for people who want to plan ahead. It is the biggest thing we don't talk about that happens to every single one of us. In the show notes for this episode, I'll include an email address for my friend Don Grace, who was a nurse midwife and now has a death midwifery practice by referral. Tell her Very Sherry sent you. Take the time. Until next week, keep mining and shining that gold within.